Thank you, Leon. Thank you, everybody. Thank you to the worship team. Oh, what a way to start a day. Wouldn't it be awesome if every day you just woke up in your house and the worship team was in your bedroom, just, <clears throat> just quietly singing like a little hallelujah. I don't want you at the end of my bed anytime. <laughs> my goodness. Well, you know, except for the fact that Sal, my, that would be kind of terrifying. Just, just to be honest, but wow, just waking up in the presence of God every day. Well, so Leon mentioned Tyron. I just texted Tyron earlier and, and said, mate, is there something he wanted to uh, share with us all this morning? He texted back, please send love and greetings. Tell the Aussies it's go time. And we are cheering you all on from the other side of the world. We're so grateful for partnership in the gospel, a true privilege to partner with such an incredible people in such an incredible place. And also go the Matildas, take the World Cup. Isn't that funny how as Aussies we just become experts on whatever sport we're doing good at at the time? <clears throat> I mean, honestly, who, who was a Matildas fan six months ago? Like three people. Who's a Matildas fan today? <laughs> See what I mean? We're so good at that. Why don't you open your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Yeah. yeah. Somebody's excited about 2 Corinthians 3. We're going to read a few verses. Then we're going to filter our way through those verses. Then we're going to read a few more. Filter our way through those. Then we're going to read a few more. Well, time dependent. and We'll see how far we get. But it says this. Are we beginning... To commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts, yet to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Let's have a look at that bit first while I get my iPad to behave. The believers in that time had come to this belief because, you know, as humans, we're very quick to organise. We like to have things in order. We like to know what's the sequence. How do I get from here to there? What's the order of proceedings? We have an order of service when we go to a wedding. We have a handbook for this week that shows us all the session times. Even for the most disorganized of us, we like to have some kind of understanding of how things are going to operate. Probably the more disorganized we tend to be, the more we need some of those structural things in our lives, says the structural guy. But these believers had come to understand that to get somewhere or to be somebody in the, the body of Christ, a, a, a quick way was to turn up with a letter of recommendation. So if I want to come preach in Russ's church, which is a great church, I have great delight in talking Russ and Mary up to anybody who will listen. But if I want to preach, I, I come with my letter 
And I said, hi, Russ, it's great to be here, great to hang with you today. Here's, just read this letter of recommendation. This, will, this is some people I've preached for before, and they'll tell you how good I did. And, and Just have a read, it'll speak for itself. And people had this idea that these letters of recommendation from somewhere else would open a door for them where they were. That's some kind of quick route to instant recognition. But what they didn't understand was this thing called the kingdom or the body of Christ, which whilst it does require some level of organisation for us to stay involved and stay a part of it, there is no quick way to bypass getting to know people, growing to love people and serving people to have access to God's people. Yet these guys were looking for that. They wanted to be someone, but their concern was for who they were more so than for who the people they wanted to minister to are. And this really misses the point of the body of Christ. See, Jesus himself taught that we are all called to serve us within the body. And the body is to serve beyond itself. I think in, in modern organizational terms, one of the, the, the expressions I hear often is that the church is the only organization on the planet that exists for those who aren't part of it. Every other organization exists for its members. It does events and functions and things for people who are already signed up. Whereas as the church, the things we do are to equip us and train us for the service of those who are not yet members. The local church is a place for us to grow in our love for others. It's a place to put our gifts into practice. And it's a place for us to develop lifestyles of encouragement. You know, just even this week, how, how, I just love being around people like Leon. <laughs> I just, don't, don't, not to embarrass you, Leon, but this guy, is a, he has a strength in encouragement. He's the kind of guy that you spend five minutes with him and you feel like you could genuinely be the next Prime Minister of this country. If you run, I will vote. Maybe for you. If you run, I will vote for you. No matter the party. It'll be a party. But that gift of encouragement is so vital and so empowering. But the place of encouragement for many of us, I mean, how often do we arrive? We've, we just talked about the context of local church. But how often do we arrive there in, on a Sunday and just go, all right, I am going to do whatever it takes to encourage somebody today to the point where they believe they could be the next prime minister of this country. Someone get in my way because I'm going to encourage you. I want to be in that church. Some weeks I am. We grow in our relationships with God and with God's people in and through local church. Can I just say that if our primary relationships are all outside of the kingdom, because you hear this a bit as pastors in churches, which many of us are, 
Something you hear often is, oh, you know, I've got, I've got way more friends. I, you know, I don't, I'm not really friends with people in the church. This is where I come to church and I worship God. But what they're saying is, you're all irrelevant. I don't even like you. I'm here for Jesus, which is good to be there for Jesus. But he does put some other people there for him too. And it's good if we can get along and like each other. But people say, all my primary relationships are out there. And we need relationships out there. We exist for out there. We want to reach people out there. But if all of our primary relationships are outside of the kingdom, guess where we're going to end up? Where the strongest influence in our life comes from. If all the influence is coming from outside, it's leading us out. We need some leading on the in. If all the focus of our lifestyle and our mental focus and energy is outside of the kingdom, that's where our lives are going to end up. These are issues of the heart. Our direction of travel is set by our heart. Where is it focused? Because that's where we're really going. That's why it's so vital to have this heart for Jesus, to connect with Jesus. Yes, his people. Yes, the people that aren't his people yet. Well, they are, but they just don't know it and they haven't acknowledged it yet. But they are anyway because he created them. Yes, all of those things, but him first. Heart for Jesus, the king. See, if we understand the kingdom, then we really know that the top is actually at the bottom. And that those that are serving sacrificially are actually the the ones who are further along in their transformation into Christ-likeness. We're not trying to produce letters to get a bypass and an advancement. We know that actually it's doing these things that are part of our transformation. It's as much about what God's doing in us and through us as it is for the others. Jesus himself was the greatest example of this. He... Despite being the creator of everything, he gave up everything to come and serve humanity. You imagine creating humanity and then subjecting yourself to their hands knowing they're going to kill you. They're going to murder you for their own potential benefit and gain. That's what Jesus did for us. He served. You can read Matthew 20. 28, Mark 10, 45. Why is this relevant, Paul? We don't place such a value on letters these days. I thought that until somebody, numbers of times, people have walked into the church where I have the privilege of leading and produced their letters. Said, oh, it's almost like they're saying, how blessed are you that I've arrived? Your your lame little church is about to be awesomized. Because I have arrived with my letters of recommendation. When can I preach? And I'm like, let me just check my diary. How's never? (laughs) But you haven't read my letters. No, I haven't, but I've read your attitude. (laughs) We, We might not place such a value on letters, but some still do. What about these letters? And, you know, there's a few champions in this room, like my friend Greg Garrett, who have letters after their names. Letters after names. We might be a great minister and we've got great pride in hanging our qualifications and our certificates on our office walls so people can see 
I'm Leo Nakotra, L-E-G-E-N-D. <laughs> Those are your letters, right? For those who are struggling to spell at this time of the morning, <laughs> Leona Cotra, legend. <laughs> or foot, legend, yeah. <laughs> we hang our degrees and our certificates and our ordinations and our certificates of recognition all around our office wall like they're going to somehow provide us with a benefit. But Paul was not enamored with such things, and not because he didn't have them. Paul was a highly educated man. He was more highly educated than most of the people he was writing to. He, he was recognized for his education. Yet he realized that there was actually something more significant than his education. There's a, this thing called a revelation of Christ. <laughs> When it came to others, Paul learned that there was a better way of recognizing and identifying who was getting things done in kingdom terms. And he says, you yourselves are our letter. So rather than producing a letter with all this recommendation and talking him up and letters after his name and all this stuff, he just says, if you want to know if I'm effective, look around and have a look at the lives of the people where God has given me influence and assess where they're at to see if I've been effective or not. Now, as I'm saying this, I'm, I know that some of us are thinking, there's a few letters that I'd like people to read and a few that are probably like postcards that I'm not that stoked on. <laughs> You know, we, we could say, look at this person. But again, it's not up to me to say, you know, look at this person. It's, you choose the person. <laughs> I would suggest multiples. If somebody once said to me, if you, to, to get a revelation on where somebody is at, just look over their shoulder. See what's behind them. Is there a trail of God intervening in situations? Is there a history of solid, healthy, whole relationships? Is there a history of people being recognized, raised up, released, and brought into the fullness of God? Or is there a trail of destruction? Pretty easy to see which ones to follow, right? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 1 to 2, it's got very quiet. Are we all okay? I expected a little more banter from the front here. I, I actually have faith that Jimmy might get saved this morning. <laughs> if, if, if that doesn't fire us up, Jimmy. So Paul said to, uh, that they, the believers, were the result of his hard work. 1 Corinthians 9 verses 1 to 2. They were the result of his hard work. How many pastors in this room have realized that pastoring is hard work? Harder than we were aware when we signed up. More work than we were aware when we signed up. And he says they are the seal of his apostleship. Who are the true apostles? Can I suggest we would have a better read on who the apostles are, but instead of looking at them, looking past them, what's behind them? How's their trail? What's, what's their, 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 their history? What's their fruit? 
So when Paul wanted people to see if his ministry was effective or not, he didn't point to his incredible intelligence. And he was intelligent. He didn't point to his incredible education. He pointed to the lives of the people that he was leading and influencing. He didn't have letters inked on paper stating how effective and awesome he was. He had the lives of people who had been powerfully influenced and changed through God intervening in their lives through him. Can I just say that we are all somebody's letter. All of us here today, we are somebody's letter because somebody has had influence in our lives. And somebody can say, you want to see if I'm effective or not? Have a look. Read the letter. We are all letters. And we all have letters. That's good news. If you feel like, gee, I don't have any letters after my name. There are letters after your life today. Letters after your name really don't change much. eh? We're just an educated idiot. Maybe I'm just speaking for myself. (laughs) We're all following somebody and we're their letter. But Paul points out that it's Christ who's writing the letter. And this is such a freeing thing for us. Christ is writing the letter. As leaders, we're not writing letters for people. And as individuals, we're not writing our own letter. You know, Paul uses the incredible illustration of the athlete running the race. And he says, we run the race marked out for us by Jesus. Now, I know when, you know, when, like I mentioned earlier, we all become experts when somebody's doing well. So when an Aussie marathon runner is doing well and we all become marathon fans and we all tune in at ridiculous o'clock to watch the marathons, have you ever seen the marathon runners go out with cones and actually mark out the race for themselves that they're going to run later that day? They don't. The race is marked out for them. Their job is to be the runner to run the race. And for us, I think too many Christians are so busy trying to put out the cones and mark out our own race that we're actually, we we got sidetracked and we're not running the race that's marked out for us because we're too busy trying to mark out a race. And I think Jesus is reminding us today, put the, the, the pile of cones down and run the race that's already been marked out. That's how we become this letter that Jesus is writing. It's it's not our job, pastors and pastoral people, leaders, influencers, whatever we are. I'm a social media influenza. (laughs) It's not our job to mark out people's races. It's our, our role is to reveal the author of their race so they can be intimate with him and they can see the race that he's marked out for them. All right, verses 4 to 6 of our, of our passage outline some distinct benefits from this kind of real partnership. I mean, this is real partnership living. This is accountability. I just realized I can't see Leon. Oh, there he is. All right. So we'll let, let's read 4 to 6. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient 
to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The first little thing I've got highlighted and under, actually, my paper Bible is in my bag, all right? I'm not a total heathen reading off an iPad Bible. But my paper Bible has so many markings and underlinings and it's like somebody's drawn cartoons in there. And my eyesight might be failing a little more as I age. <laughs> so I can't actually read that up here anymore. I'm just putting that out there, being honest. All right? Accountability. Yeah? I can't read my Bible without my glasses. <laughs> so I'm using my iPad where I can just make the font larger. But in my paper Bible, the first thing I've got marked and highlighted and pointed out there so I never forget is confidence. In our relationship with him, in what Jesus has done for us as a benefit of being part of this new covenant, it says that we have a confidence through Christ towards God. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence... Draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. You know, that is for every single believer. It, it does, don't you, does it pain you when you hear people just coming to God with no confidence? Oh, God, I'm so sorry. I messed up again. I'm this and I'm that. I'm speaking all this junk over ourselves. And you know what? God sometimes sits there looking at us and he's, all the things we're telling him we are, he's, he's saying, I don't see any of that. Why are you telling me you're that, Leah? I don't see that. Sometimes we just need to sit, listen, hear what God's got to say over us instead of us trying to tell him what we or who we are all the time. <laughs> and do it with confidence. Come to him boldly and confidently. Not this timid Afraid, please don't smite me, oh mighty smiter. Come to God with confidence. Somebody just got that reference. <laughs> Congratulations. Then the next thing, so confidence, number one. Number two, sufficiency. And he says, not claiming anything from ourselves. So not relying on my letters. Not relying on the, all the initials on my business card after my name. Not relying on all the certificates on my office wall. If you know me, you know there are no certificates on my office wall. Right? They're in a drawer. <laughs> they exist, but I don't care. They're in a drawer. <laughs> We're not relying on those things, but our sufficiency is from God. Now, if we just think about Romans 3.23 for a minute, which says that when we come to Christ, God gifts us freely his own righteousness. Is there anything in this universe that he created more righteous than God himself? Not a chance. So is there anything more righteous than the free righteousness that God has gifted us? Nothing, no one, free gift of righteousness. And the same God who gives us that level of righteousness says that he gives us sufficiency. You know, we live in a time and an age where there is a distinct and utter lack of sufficiency in most people's hearts. 
People are struggling with identity. They are struggling with sufficiency. They are struggling with all of these things. And we have the answer here where it says God gives us sufficiency. He makes us sufficient in and of himself. You could say that we are complete in Christ's provision for us. Are we living in that all-sufficient sufficiency, that completeness that Christ has given us? And then the next thing he says, he makes us competent ministers of the new covenant. So the new covenant is, is it's huge. Like if we just stuck with those first couple of points, for us it's massive. But then he says, it's not just for you. I want to make you a competent minister of it so that everything I've given you, you can take and release to everybody else. So not just am I sufficient because God makes me sufficient, but if you encounter me, I'm going to bring enough sufficiency for me and you. My solution to your problem is to help you understand that God is making you sufficient for whatever it is that you feel insufficient for. Competent ministers of the sufficiency and the righteousness of God. He says that the new covenant is not of the letter which kills, but of the spirit which gives life. We are confident, we are complete, and we are competent because of what Christ has done in us and wants to do more and more of through us. Verses 7 to 18, we're going to skim over them a little quicker because they unpack a whole lot of key points about the purpose and power of the new covenant that we are competent ministers of and make some contrast to the old covenant. And I love the first thing that he says. This is, honestly, when I read this, you know, you read things like however many times and they just become, yep, I've read that before. But every now and then you read something and you go, I've never got that like this before. (laughs) And I had a moment not that long ago where I was reading about this and I had a, a revelation of the level of glory that the old covenant came with. It tells us that Moses went up the mountain and when he came down, the glory on him as the the, the one who was bringing the old covenant that faded, the glory on him was so radiant, so rich and so strong, dare I say, so shiny that he had to put a veil over his face. So that people, he, people couldn't even be in his unveiled presence as he was bringing the fading old covenant. That is the level of glory of the old covenant and we are ministers of the new covenant. Maybe that's the real reason I'm growing this beard is just to hide the glory I think it's actually just to hide the shame of aging. But anyway, (laughs) somebody said to me, the bigger my beard gets, the better I look. And I just couldn't argue that. (laughs) Under the old covenant, we also see examples like glory filled the temple. In the old covenant, glory filled the temple. 
Under the old covenant, we, the glory of God hovered over certain people in certain situations. Under the old covenant, the law was given in such glorious circumstances with God chiseling tablets of stone himself. We are ministers of the new covenant. So Paul says the old covenant came with some glory. Now, I'm sure even hearing some of those examples, we think actually there was some glory more than I realized. That seems a little more glorious than I kind of had understood. But it was only some glory and it brought death. But the new covenant comes with far more glory and brings life. The old covenant was considered to bring death because it pointed out humanity's deficiency. While the new covenant brings and releases the sufficiency of Christ to supersede our deficiency. We are all called to be glorious ministers of life. Paul then gives some comparisons to help his readers understand. They're obviously a little slow like me. And he has to really make the point. So he points out some differences and, and, and shows some comparisons of this is what the old covenant was like. This is what the new is like. He says the old covenant was regarded as belonging to Moses. The new covenant's regarded as belonging to Jesus. Now, ownership was important because it was an establishment of where did this come from and what does it have to do with me? And he was speaking to a group of people who had an extremely high regard for Moses. And he's saying that old covenant belonged to Moses but this new covenant belongs to Jesus. He's trying to transition them from my heart belongs to Moses to my heart now belongs to Jesus. Transitioning from the old to the new. He says the old was regarded as the ministry of death. The new is the ministry of the spirit and of life. The old was carved into stone tablets, which was glorious. But the new is written on our hearts. The old came through Moses with a temporary fading glory, but the new came through Jesus with Christ's glory that is permanent and infinitely greater. The old covenant was temporary in nature. It faded. The new is permanent in nature and it grows in ever-increasing glory. The old was a ministry of condemnation because it pointed out our deficiency. The new is a ministry of righteousness that points out our sufficiency. The righteousness of the old covenant was unattainable human righteousness. The righteousness of the new covenant is the receivable righteousness of Jesus that is given to us. The old has come to have, even though it came in glory, it has come to have no glory at all. The new covenant is ever increasing in glory. He then goes on and explains a few outcomes of some of these contrasts. He says, whenever Moses is read, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. Like I said, Moses put a physical veil over his face so they couldn't see 
the, the fighting glory. Paul points out that uh, for these Israelites, that he asks a question of, guys, is there a veil over our heart that is stopping us from seeing the ever-increasing glory of Jesus? See, we can live with a spiritual veil that stops us from seeing the glory of Jesus. It hinges on our revelation of Jesus. Who is Jesus to you? It's regardless of my revelation of him, What is your revelation of him? Because that is what sets us up to receive and to see his glory. Some see Jesus as a a key religious figure, maybe a historical figure, a good person. Maybe some people see Jesus, and this is common more and more in the world around us, they see him as a person who suffered with delusions of grandeur. Maybe we've just created our own completely personal version of Jesus. But the only way to see the glory of Jesus in a ever-increasing manner is to have the veil removed. And the only way to have the veil removed is to turn to Jesus. We're turning our hearts towards him. Now, I'm not just talking about in a moment of salvation, because we do that, right? We get saved, we have that moment. What about just on a daily basis when circumstances present themselves that are not pleasant, not favourable? A bit like driving here in Sydney. <laughs> it's not my favourite thing to do, I will be honest. There's a lot of people on the roads that aren't very nice. And it's challenging driving here this morning just saying, all right, no matter who blasts their horn at me, no matter who yells at me, and there was some horn blasting and some yelling on the way here this morning, and not all from me. (laughs) Amazing how self-entitled some people are on the road. But to have that attitude of, my heart is towards Jesus this morning. Regardless of the road, regardless of who's doing what, regardless of all of this, I don't want my experiences on the road to stop me from encountering the ever-increasing glory of Jesus today. Lifting the veil, taking the veil, gone. Verse 17, I'm just going to land with this. Leon, how are we doing? We good? All right. Maybe we could have... Some of these worship lovely leading people come back for a moment. You know, verse 17 is one that I've actually heard people use to justify slackness. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. The Spirit of the Lord's in me, so I'm free. I'm going to do what I like, when I like, how I like, regardless of who it affects or how, because I'm free. But a better translation of that verse would actually say, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit is Lord, there, there is freedom. See, if the Spirit is not Lord, then we are not free. If the Spirit is not Lord, then we are bound by something that's not Him. It could be sin. It could be fear of the world. It could be legalistic religious practices. It could be selfishness. It could be addiction. It could be a bad attitude. 
There's all these other things that we can be bound to if the Spirit of God is not Lord. But if the Spirit is Lord, which I'm going to have the audacity to believe is true for the huge majority of us here today, then we are truly free. Then we're free to come into the presence of God and to experience the permanent, unfading glory of God. Then we are free to enjoy God. We are free to engage with Him, to worship Him, to love Him, and to have Him love us. And He delights in engaging with us. It's when the Spirit of the Lord when the Spirit of God is Lord is when worship changes from being just a, a one-person singing experience to a bilateral experience of God. And we're going to, why don't you stand with me? We're going to worship for a moment. In verse 18, Paul gives us a quick rundown of what this looks like. He says, And we with unveiled faces... So we in this room this morning with our unveiled faces, our unveiled hearts, we have turned to Jesus. We have made the Spirit of God Lord and we are going to engage with Him in this wonderful place of worship, beholding the glory of the Lord. See, we can, we can experience the glory of the Lord in worship because the Spirit of God is Lord. He says, and we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And just as we are worshipping right now, I want to encourage us, and Leon did already, he encouraged us around, you need healing, get healed. Don't wait for the, the call out of the gifted, anointed, healing person. It's God who heals. And we're going to engage with God who can heal right now. So if you need healing, reach out to him and say, God, you know my need of healing. I'm, I'm, thank you for my unveiled face. Thank you for the confidence that I can approach you with. Thank you for the boldness I draw near to you with. Thank you for the sufficiency that you've given me, the righteousness that you've given me. And I take hold of you for this healing. Whatever it is that we have need of now, verse 12 says we are bold because we have a hope of a surpassing and permanent glory. God has given us all an invitation right now to engage with His glorious presence. So Lord Jesus, we thank You for that invitation. And we come before You with our unveiled hearts and faces. And we invite your glorious presence, that thick, manifest glory of God. Come and rest on us in this place right now as we engage with you, King Jesus.